Would you open up your Bible, if you have one, Mark chapter 12, verses 41 through 44, and Jeannie's going to read it, so we're going to follow along. All right. And he sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which made a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance. But she, out of her poverty, has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. Amen. All right, so to finish this year, I'm going to do a series called Finish Strong. Everybody say, Finish Strong. So this series is so important because I want you to end this year proud of how you've lived in 2018. Just not too long ago, a few years ago, I did an Ironman. And and if you've ever done an Ironman, you take as many opportunities as you can to let everybody know you've done an Ironman. So this is my bi-monthly illustration related to that Ironman that I did. And one thing that I remember is how proud I felt when I finished. You know what an Ironman is? I'll tell you. (laughs) It's a 2.4-mile swim, a 112-mile bike ride, and then you end it with the marathon. I love it when people say to me, have you ever done a marathon? And I say, yeah, I did. And they're like, oh, really? You know, how'd you do? I was like, well, I was a little tired because I just ridden my bike for six and a half hours, and I swam for an hour and a half prior to that. Uh, But I did. I did a marathon. And the thing about this Ironman that I most remember other than hurting, hating my life about halfway through, was the last two miles. You see, in the last two miles, I knew I was going to finish. I, I uh, was right around 13 hours. I had 17 hours to finish. I was making pretty good time. I knew that I could walk the last two miles, and I was going to finish, just like all these other people. And when you get to the end, if you finish within 17 hours, you get to hear these words. Russell Cravens, you are an Iron Man. Nothing like it. Life-changing. But for some reason, those last two miles, I had something in me that said, you know, this hasn't been completely the way I hoped it would go. But I'm not going to remember that. Most of all, what I want to remember is how I finished. And so for the last two miles, I ran as hard and as fast as I ran the entire race. The last two miles, I ran below eight-minute miles, which for me was very, very fast. And to do it at the end of a very long day was pretty crazy and a little bit stupid. But for the last two miles, I passed probably 400 people because there was a lot of people that knew that they were finished also. And they thought, well, I'm just going to kind of walk it out. And I thought, no way. This isn't over yet. I'm going to finish. I'll never forget when I turned around that last corner, and this might surprise you, but I'm not built like most triathletes. Most of them look like they should be running long distances. And so people were a little concerned, and as I was going around that last, that last corner, the race official said to me, throttle it down, big fella, throttle it down. And I was like, what are you going to do? As I just kept running, man, and when I crossed that finish line, I knew, I knew, I knew that my life would be changed forever because I knew what it was like to finish strong. I want to help you finish strong in 2018. Raise your hand if you want to have a strong finish. None of you have had a perfect year. I haven't had a perfect year, but we can finish strong in a way that you can be proud of how you've honored God. So I'm going to do three talks in this series, and then we're going to be to Christmas. 
The first talk, which is going to be today, is, being going, is going to be called Living Generously. Sammy, you might get some people who want to come to your church because this talks about money. They may be like, I'm never coming back to that church again. That's okay. Go to Sammy's church. He will never have to talk about money. Praying often is the second one. And inviting others is the third one. So these are the three things that I want to really press into as we're in December, as we're approaching uh, celebrating the birth of Jesus at Christmas, and as we prepare for another year. Living generously. So Proverbs chapter 11, verse 25 says, A generous person will prosper. Whoever refreshes others will be refreshed. Let me ask you a question. Are generous people happier? Do you think people who give generously are happier than those who do not? And there's research in this field called pro-social behavior, which studies behaviors that directly benefit others. And they reveal, the research reveals that time and time again that generous people are happier people. This is especially true if the generous person, the giver, gives without expecting anything in return. I mean, think about your own life. In your own life, when you've been generous to another person, to a, to a larger cause, haven't you felt that rush of endorphins that's in your brain? It's kind of like a natural, healthy high because you did something good. You know, we live generously because, and we feel good because we're hardwired with a desire God put in us to cooperate together for a greater good. And real cooperation always requires generosity, sacrificial giving and generosity. So my contention to you as we introduce this idea is that the reason that it's makes you happier to be a generous person is because you're made in the image of God and one of the character traits of God is generosity. He has been generous to you in Christ when you did not deserve it. God gave something to you and that is an opportunity to have your sin forgiven and for you to be reconciled to God. Can I get an amen from somebody? You know, we benefit when people are generous. I've personally benefited when people have been generous to our family. I love to think every time I walk into my house and I look at the floor about how God has ministered to our family and helped our family because of somebody else's heart of generosity. And the reason that, because whenever we bought our house and we had to do some remodeling to it, uh, the floor needed to be redone. And the floor we were taking out was only about half of the wood we needed for the, all the floor to be redone. But we didn't have a lot of money. But God impressed on somebody's heart, and on the day we were about to put in the floor, this person pulls up in a truck with the same uh, type of wood, the same measurement of wood, to be included with ours and mixed in with ours to redo our floor. So to me, it was a humongous blessing. I didn't know how God was going to provide or what was going to happen. So now, every time I walk around on my creaky wood floor, I think about the fact that, you know, generosity... Not only does it make me happy to be a generous person, but it makes me happy when somebody else is generous. Amen? So I want to talk about this idea more specifically of generosity as it relates to being generous to the local church. Being generous to the local church. So there are so many opportunities to live generously. I mean, we all made it through hashtag Giving Tuesday where you know, as well as I do, that there are thousands and thousands and thousands of very worthwhile opportunities to give your money to something uh, outside of your own life. That's true, and those are good things, and I hope some of you participated in those as the Lord led you. 
But I want to talk to you about being generous to the local church. And I do believe that the local church, because it's in the Bible, the local church is a uniquely different organization than any of these other places that you can give. Why? Because the local church is God's idea for heralding the gospel and for discipling and equipping people to live out the ministry that they've been called to once they become a follower of Jesus Christ. So the local church is uniquely different. And here's the main idea for the talk with that in mind. I want to challenge you to finish strong by giving sacrificially so many others can experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Sammy, I know you've told your church that being a part of this church plant isn't just showing up and helping set up. It's not just wearing the cistern t-shirt. It is an all-in. We're going to give. We're going to participate, not only with our time and energy, but also with our dollars. There's been many in the life of this church that have participated, that have sacrificed financially as an act of worship to God to make the ministry here possible that all of you have benefited from. Raise your hand if there's been anything good in your life happen as a result of being a part of this church. Raise your hand if any, any good thing. Some of you aren't raising your hand. All right, make a note of that. We're going to bless you by the end of the day. <laughs> Grab a donut on your way out, and there you go. Finish strong by giving sacrificially so many others can experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Now, here's the deal. I stand before you today knowing this. Money is personal. Money is personal. It's why God says you cannot serve two masters. It's like a person that you choose whether or not you're going to serve. Mark, Matthew chapter 6, verse 24 says, uh, you cannot serve two masters because you will always hate the one and love the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Do you know that Jesus talks about money and possessions more than any other one thing in the Gospels while he was on earth? Did you know that? Pretty crazy. It is very personal, this, this idea of money. I stand before you not afraid to talk to you about your money because I actually think the way you'll most enjoy your money is to live the biblical ethic of spending your money. You're going to be freed up to enjoy it in the way God has meant for you to. So money is personal. And, and I'll also say this, and we're going to get into this passage. A sermon on generosity is not about your resources. So if you're sitting here thinking to yourself, oh man, I'm stressed financially. I can't believe this is a talk on money. Oh man, I'm in debt. I, you know, I can't believe he's going to talk about this. Or I haven't been to church in so long, and here we go. I knew it. The preacher, he's going to talk about money. A sermon on generosity is not about your money. So don't be thinking about your money right now. What you need to think about is your heart. You see, a sermon on generosity is not about your resources. It's about your heart. It's about what's going on in your heart. And this is why Jesus, who always goes to the heart, most often talks about money. Because it's the thing that our hearts get wrapped in on, dependent upon. And it can be the most distracting thing to truly living the life that God's called us to in Christ. So there's some heart work that needs to happen today. There's some heart work that needs to happen in you. There's some heart work that needs to happen in me. And this message is a gift to you because it's the kind of heart work that you will really, really enjoy. Mark chapter 12. Thank you, Jeannie, for reading that so beautifully. Here's the story. He sat down opposite the treasury and watched the people putting money into the offering box. Jesus is there with his disciples. It's Passover time, so it's a time of the year where they're remembering the Exodus, which is a huge event in Israel's history, marking the deliverance of the Israelites from Egyptian power. And so they remember it every year at the Passover. The population of Jerusalem is swelling. Some say it's three times what it normally is at this time of the year. 
There's many people coming into the temple, and there's a lot of activity. And so it's not uncommon for a, a rabbi to be with his disciples to be teaching them. Or Jesus, the rabbi, who we also know as the God-man, is with his disciples, and he sits down opposite the treasury. It's the area where money is collected. And he observes. The scripture says, according to Mark, many rich people put in large sums, and a poor widow came and put in two small copper coins, which make a penny. And he called his disciples to him and said to them, truly I say to you. Now this phrase, the way it's written in the Greek, it heightens the importance of what Jesus is about to say. So it may be like him saying, hey, I've taught you a lot of things today, but of all the things that I'm going to teach you today, this is one of the most important things. Truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all those who are contributing to the offering box. For they all contributed out of their abundance. Everybody say abundance. But she out of her poverty has put in everything she had, all she had to live on. So people have come to the temple to learn about and worship God. Jesus is there with his disciples. To fully appreciate the story, we have to think about what's happened just prior to this. Actually, just prior to this, Mark tells us that Jesus is teaching, and here's what he says in verse 38. Beware of the scribes. The scribes are like some of the religious leaders. It's a group that's part of the religious leadership. Beware of the scribes who like to walk around in long robes and like greetings in the marketplaces and have the best seats in the synagogues and the places of honor at feasts who devour widows' houses and for a pretense make long prayers, they will receive the greater condemnation. So in the temple, you might look around and go, okay, who are the most religious people? Some people would look at those scribes who are wearing long robes and are greeting everybody, kind of glad-handing everybody, that are looking really spiritual. But what Jesus is saying is that their actual religion is empty. On the outside, they look religious, but on the inside, their hearts aren't right. And a result of that, or a reason for that, is because they're mistreating the widows who are supposed to be taken care of. And what Mark is doing here is he's providing a true contrast in these two stories between the pretended righteousness of the scribes, the fake religiosity, the fake relationship, And the true godliness of the widow, which is reflected in her incredible gift. So here are his disciples, and they're listening to him. It's a radical, radical way for him to think about an amount of an offering. The wealthy gave many coins, gold, copper, and bronze. They're donating these larger sums. And many of them, according to scholars, were wealthy landowners who lived in or near Jerusalem. Some were businessmen. Others were merchants that were working there in in and near the temple. And then there's this poor widow. She gave two lepta. It was worth, it says in the English translation, a penny, but it's actually 2% of a normal day's wage, which would have been less than a penny for us. And, And at first glance, there's nothing out of the ordinary. I'm sure all day long there were rich people and poor people coming along and giving. But Jesus notices it, and what he says is radical. He says this, the widow gave more. Now, you're, you're reasonable people. You're smart people. You're, you're educated. And, and so let's, let's review the story. The rich people put in large sums. The poor widow put in two small copper coins. So basic, basic math says that the rich people gave more, right? But Jesus says the widow gave more. How could it be? Here's why. They gave out of their abundance, the rich people. 
whereas she gave sacrificially. What Jesus is doing is he's exposing the issue of the heart as it relates to generosity. He's exposing the issue of the heart. And you'll know this about Jesus. He's not as concerned about external religiosity. What Jesus is concerned about in every area of our lives is what's in our heart. And what's in our heart will always come out in our behavior. Always. So the rich people gave from their leftovers. It's the implication. The rich people had a lot, and they gave from their leftovers. Their gifts did not require them to sacrifice. I mean, it looked impressive, and no doubt it went a longer way for the temple. But what God is interested in is not how much you give. What he's interested in is the heart of the giver. And so what Jesus does is he lifts up this widow woman who has given sacrificially, not from what's left over or what's easy, but instead what is no doubt a sacrifice for her because her heart is so committed to God. She gave radically generous. There's a few lessons here that I want to just reflect on for a moment. First of all, God knows the heart of every giver. It's amazing to me to think about the fact that I know some of you quite well. Others of you I've just met today or over the course of the last few months I I don't really know your heart as much as you know your heart, but you know what? You don't know your heart as much as God knows your heart. God knows your heart, and God sees the heart of each person, and what's important to think about as you reflect on what's in your own heart is do you have a heart of generosity? Are you a generous person? And, And so some of you may not have as much to give, to God for the work of his ministry in this city and around the world. But to God, that's not what it's about. What it's about is what is in your heart and what does it mean for you to give practically and sacrificially to God for the work of his ministry in this city and around the world. It's not about your checking account. It's about your heart. Uh, To put it differently, biblical generosity is best gauged not by asking how much am I giving to God? But by asking, how much am I keeping for myself? Let me say that again. Biblical generosity is best gauged not by asking, how much am I giving to God? But instead, by asking, how much am I keeping for myself? And what the Bible puts forward is this idea that if you have been reconciled to God through Christ, the way that you honor and express gratitude to God is to, buy, to, to see yourselves as completely and fully submitted to him and willing to let him use you and your stuff for his glory in whatever measure he wants and he chooses. I, I love this church, and I think that... Um, This is the most generous church I've ever been a part of. And I've been a part of some really amazing, generous churches. But kind of per person and the heartbeat of this church, the way that we bless and give away as much as we're able is really quite incredible. Every year, our church is able to support church planting in major cities and in in a way that makes makes a difference, right? It's a wonderful thing. But the, the heart of this church is represented by the collective individual hearts, right? Which is why we're saying Jesus goes to your heart and I want you to reflect on what's in your heart. Are you being the kind of generous person that God wants you to be? 
Radical generosity is a high value for us. In fact, it's one of our four stated values. Radical generosity. See, we want to be radically generous to Cistern Church. In 2019, one of the things that we're going to do for them is we're going to give 1% of our undesignated tithes and offering to them. So if it's a really big giving month, great for them. If it's not a big giving month, not so great for them. So I tell the church planters that we support, I say, you ought to pray that our church is really generous because if they are, then you're really going to benefit from it. And if they're not really generous, then I blame all of you church planters because you're not praying enough for my church. Not really, but um, that's how we're going to do it. So that for our church amounts to about $300 a month, something like that. On average, $300, $350, something like that is what we're able to give the church planters that we support. We want to do that. Uh, This church was very glad to give uh, all that we had in storage, as much of it as Cistern wanted, to Cistern Church. You know, did you all hear that story? We had all this stuff in storage, and one day God impressed upon our leadership's heart. Like, why do we have all this stuff in storage that we may or may not use? Let's give it to somebody that's going to use it tomorrow. So we asked Sammy, and he went over there and took what he wanted. There was some left over, and the rest went to Guy Glass, who preached a few weeks ago. He's planning a church up in the northeast part of Houston. That's the heartbeat of this church. We want to be generous. But what I want to stir up in the heart of each of the individuals is this question. Not how much are you giving, but how much are you keeping for yourself? And are you doing what God wants you to do? God knows the heart of every giver. Second observation I want to make about this passage is that giving teaches us to trust God. And let me, let, me, let me push that out there a little bit further. Sacrificial giving teaches us to trust God. Some of you play it so safe financially because you fear being in a position where you cannot survive financially. Now, it's important to be wise financially. Don't get me wrong. But what I'm saying to you is that I believe that when you are giving to the Lord for the work of his church in this city and cities around the world, that the point at which you know you're giving enough, giving what God wants you to give, is whenever that amount that you give is requiring you to trust God in the next season of your life. Every time we give to the church, every single time there's a place that we could spend that money otherwise. Every single time. I am not like some of you who are crazy rich. I'm not. But some of you are filthy. Raise your hand if you're filthy rich so we can know who's going to take us to lunch. All right. Nobody. Oh, no wonder we're having a hard time financially. Uh, You guys are all poor. Anyway, um, that's not true. Um, But every time that we we write a check or we do our text giving, every single time we could spend that money on something else. And so every single time what we have to have a conversation about is, okay, are we going to trust God for provision in the next season because we're going to be faithful first in this area? And for the most part, we've said yes. Sometimes we haven't, truthfully. And every single time we go, okay, God, let's start new. (laughs) And I want you to know that giving teaches us to trust God. And this widow completely entrusted herself to God. She gave all that she had, and that's what Jesus was applauding. It's difficult to give in such a way that our security is in Christ if at the same time we idolize security that we're providing for ourselves. Now, that's a hard thing to understand, but if you idolize security and providing security for yourself, then you'll be less inclined to trust that God is who is able to make you secure financially in the future. You can trust God. He'll take care of you. I want to also point out with this point 
that in the Bible, when someone encountered Jesus, a rich person encountered Jesus, somebody that their life was defined by their possessions, like Zacchaeus. You know the story of Zacchaeus? He meets Jesus. Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He's been stealing from his own people, uh, collecting taxes on behalf of the Roman government. He meets Jesus. Jesus has a meal with him. He trusts and follows Jesus. What's the first thing that he does? He says, I'm going to give half of my possessions to the poor. And anybody that I've cheated, I'm going to give back to fourfold. He met Jesus, and the first practical decision he made was to look at his resources and go, okay, God, how can I honor you with these? Another one, there's a story of the rich young ruler. You know the story of the rich young ruler? The story of the rich young ruler comes to Jesus and says, how can I inherit eternal life? And Jesus says, do this list of things. In other words, it's kind of like, uh, don't cheat, don't steal, don't murder. And he says, I've done all those things. And then Jesus says, okay, what you need to do now is you need to sell all your possessions, give all your money to the poor, and come follow me. And what's the scripture say? He walked away downcast. Why? Jesus knew his heart, and what was in his heart was actually... What he was being mastered by was these possessions. And he knew that for him to truly follow Jesus, Jesus knew for this guy to truly follow him, he could not also follow and idolize money. So when people in the scriptures came along and encountered Jesus, Jesus would always go to the heart, and the thing that their heart was gripping onto, he would say, you got it, you can't, you got to walk away from that, you got to repent of that, you got to move away from that. Now, the Bible also does not uh, condemn being wealthy. Amen? <laughs> it doesn't. It says that the love of money is the root of all evil, but having a lot of money is not evil. But the way that you treat your money before the Lord and the way that you respond to God's prompting on your heart to use your money is so important. I get asked all the time, okay, Russell, so I hear what you're saying, and I know this is true. And again, I'm inviting you to the joy of radical generosity. I'm not commanding this to anybody. I'm just saying, hey, here's how you get to live the life that God's called us to. This is how Paul can say in 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, uh, the Lord loves a cheerful giver. Because if you'll see the beauty of generous giving and generous living, then you will cheerfully give. There's no doubt about it. I, I get people asking me from time to time, okay, Russell, how much should I give? Here's the short answer. Give God 100%, because he owns it all anyway. And you say, okay, yeah, 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 okay, okay. 100%, I get it. No, but really, how much should I give? Well, here's what I would say. <laughs> because God entrusts to you some of those resources to buy food and shelter and clothing. And certainly it's okay for you to be able to enjoy some of your money for trips and entertainment and a little more expensive food, you know? Certainly, we would say that that's a reasonable thing to think. However, what typically happens is people begin these lifestyles where they spend all their money entertaining themselves, feeding themselves, clothing themselves, and what happens at the end is there's nothing left. And then you go, why, God, how am I supposed to be faithfully giving to you when I have nothing left? And God's saying, no, you're supposed to give the first part to me, but instead what you did is went and upgraded the sports package. Or you got season tickets. And if anybody feels convicted right now about their season tickets and wants to give them up, you know, holler at me. <laughs> but 
it, that's the way it goes. So when we look at our finances, I don't get to sit down and go, okay, what do I have left over? No, I go the first of the month. Here's what I'm going to do. God, I'm going to give you the first fruits back of what you've provided for me. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 9. Honor the Lord with your wealth, with the first fruits of your crops. How much am I supposed to give? Well, in the Old Testament, there's this principle of the tithes. We can talk about 10%. So in the Old Testament, and, and honestly, there were different kinds of ways that they were taxed and that they gave tithes. But if we just look at the idea of a tithe being one-tenth, they were to bring one-tenth of what God provided for them and give it to the Lord. And if they did, they were blessed. Listen to Malachi chapter 3, verse 10. This is awesome. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be enough room to store it. I mean, come on. I love that. Can you imagine being in a church where we say, hey guys, we got more money than we need. We get to give away more and more and more. We get to plant more and more churches. But right now what we're saying is, hey guys, some of you are giving 1% or not at all. Can you bump it to 2 I mean, and it's kind of ridiculous if you ask me. Because what we've said is, God, this church and this place that heralds the good name of Jesus Christ has changed my life. Why would I not then go, God, the first part of what you provide me through my work is going to go to you for your work in this city and other major cities? That's just like a no-brainer. Does it mean we're going to have to sacrifice? Absolutely. I wear clothes that other people give me. Because I don't spend a lot of money on clothes. So if you don't like my clothes, I would like to give you their phone number. (laughs) But there are other ways that you may have to sacrifice, and certainly I have to sacrifice, so that we can continue giving to God. And here's the thing. It's never really a sacrifice when you're generously living. Never. Because you'll get to see what your dollars and your faithfulness will do to make an impact on somebody's life. Next weekend, we're baptizing uh, Aiden, who is coming here. That is a result of our church faithfully over a long period of time ministering the gospel, caring for people, loving people, introducing people to Jesus. And you're all a part of that. You say, what does my money do? Your money changes lives. God uses it. You say, well, okay, so am I supposed to give 10%? Well, actually, in the New Testament, brace yourself for this. In the New Testament, 10% is not the standard. 10% seems to be the starting place. And you say, well, I can't do 10% or even more than 10%. I would say, okay, well, just start somewhere. And between you and the Lord, just say, God, what will you allow me to do? What do I need to cut back on so I can be faithful? This is the way the church works. This is how God has set it all up. And throughout the Bible, we see a very high value placed on wholehearted commitment to God. Not, not a, anything less is, is not what it means to be a part of the church of the living God. This whole incident, Jesus, as he's observing the sacrifice of the widow, foreshadows his sacrifice. See, not too long after this story, Jesus would give his life. He would lay it down on the cross. He would give himself away fully in such a way that everybody will benefit. This is the Christian gospel. Radical generosity is at the heart of God. So when we live radically generous, not just with our money, but with our time and energy and our intellect and our gifts, 
we are being who God has created us to be. We are living in the image of God. I want to invite you into that life. Some of you are still holding so tightly to the pleasures that can be provided for you by the material things you purchase. Some of you are still holding so tightly to the pleasure of entertainment. There's nothing wrong with enjoying your things and being entertained. But if those things are keeping you from obeying the command of God to tithe and to give financially to God, that's a problem. It, doesn't this just feel so personal? I, I know it does. It feels personal to me. On the way out, I'd, I'd like to have a hug line. We can all just, I just want to hug every one of you on the way out so I make sure that you know that I still love you because it feels so personal. But what I'm inviting in, you into is something that's a real joy. I'm calling you to obey the biblical ethic uh, related to your finances of generosity. If you accept the invitation to this joy of radical generosity, you will be freed up from the tyranny of financial stress. You will impact other people's lives for eternity. You will see miracles happen. You will be blessed by God. I have never in my life regretted the times that I've responded to God's prompting to be generous financially. Never. You'll be blessed by God. If you reject the invitation, if you leave this place unchanged by God's word, by the example of this widow, then you'll never have enough money. And, and that may be some of what you choose. You'll never have enough money. You'll live your life striving after security and material things. There will always be imbalance in your world financially. And you'll always be left wanting. Always. If you reject the invitation to the joy of radical generosity, then you will miss opportunities to impact other people's eternity. And someday you'll lay your head on the pillow and you have lived a life with a little bit nicer clothes and more experiences in travel and maybe a little bit more food or whatever it may be. But you might not get to reflect back on and go, you know what? My faithfulness in this area of generosity has allowed me to impact this person's life, this person's life, this person's life, this person's life. So I'm calling you into it today. Calling you into faithfulness. I'm calling you to finish strong this year. I believe that God has this word for us today, and so I pass it on to you and call you to it. Once again, finish strong by giving sacrificially so many others can experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. Bow your heads and let's think on these things. God, we love you. And God, I have been convicted even as I've preached my own message about generosity. And God, I, I confess to you in the presence of these dear men and women that, that um, there have been moments where I've, I've uh, lacked obeying your call to be generous in a way that I know that you want me to be. And so, God, I just pray you'd help Jeannie and I and our family to make the necessary adjustments so we can continue living generously as we are living out, being made in your image and, and expressing gratitude for Christ. And I pray that for our whole church, God. 
I pray that the leaders would lead out and that they would be the ones living with uh, generously giving the tithe as a starting point. God, I pray that uh, and all the rest would just experience the joy of radical generosity, God. God, uh, thank you for inviting us in. Thank you for your word. Give us the heart of the widow who's willing to give all that you're calling us to give, trusting you. And God, it feels to me like that'd be a great way to finish strong this year. So deal with our hearts, Lord. We love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen.